Welcome, Watchmen. I am the Paladin Preacher with Peleus Men's Ministry. Let's jump into tonight's topic. Are you ready? Let's begin. Imagine this scenario for a moment. It's just after supper in your hut. Your mother and father are tending to the fire and tidying up as they ask you to go to bed. It's a big day tomorrow. Father's going to take you out into the fields for the first time as a young boy. It'll be your first time learning about how he tills the ground using hand tools. He's going to show you all the corn crop that was planted from the prior season, and it will be your turn to help implant seeds in preparation for next season's harvest. You tell your mother you're still hungry, so she hands you a fresh mango that she picked just earlier that day from the massive mango tree growing just outside your house. You sink your teeth deep into the mango. The sweet juice seeps out of your mouth as you pull your mouth back from the bite, still lipping the bits of mango fiber stuck between your teeth. Mango is my favorite, you say to yourself as you finish eating down to the pit. Now off to bed, says mother. Tomorrow is a big day for you. You hop into bed, place your head down on the pillow, still half licking your fingers from the mango juice and picking the strands of mango fiber between your teeth. As you fall asleep, you think about the exciting time you're about to have with your father tomorrow, and you can't wait to wake up. You wake to the sounds of footsteps in the hut. It sounds like your mother and father talking in the next room. You rub the sleep out of your eye and look out the window. It's still dark outside. It can't be morning yet. Father usually wakes up early for work, but this seems just too early. You begin to hear muffled, distant shouting coming from outside the hut. Father and mother are talking more loudly now, and it's beginning to sound like the whole village has awoken. You hear more voices outside, and the voices are sounding louder and with more excitement in their voices about something. Your father and mother run into your room, pull you up out of bed. We have to run, they say to you. They're here. There's not enough time to grab anything from your room as you're hurried out of the hut by the arm. Father's firm grip around your forearm and and your mother's in his other hand. As the door to your hut opens, your mind is flooded, watching the other huts in your village as people begin to pour out of them and begin running in all different directions. The screams and yelling of the people outside are now far surpassing the volume you're used to hearing, even when your mom and father have been excited. And then unfamiliar sounds begin to happen that you've never heard before, like snaps, pops, hissing, and thuds all around you. People are beginning to fall over as they run and struggling to keep their step. You realize in your paralyzed stupor that you've stopped moving because of the things you are seeing, and nothing is making sense. You grew up with these faces, and you have friends lying strewn about the ground, still frozen with their gaze fixed on nothing. 
you realize that your father is pulling on your arm harder now and yells, Come on, we have to go now. As you, father and mother, make for the tree line, three dark silhouettes step into your path, and suddenly something else grabs you by the back of the neck. A hard crack to the back of your head makes your eyes cease to see, and suddenly you feel nothing. According to the United Nations Refugee Agency, the UNHCR, at the end of 2018, some 41.3 million people were internally displaced due to armed conflict, generalized violence, or human rights violations, according to the Internal Displaced Monitoring Center, IDMC. During my recent visit to Nigeria with the Integritas Men's Ministry, we visited one of these camps for displaced boys due to conflict in and around Jos, the area and city where we were uh, deployed at the time. Jos deals with cult activity, secret society activity, and in most cases, terrorist activity. However, this was an opportunity to meet with boys who had lost everything and there was still no one they could turn to for help, either from family or friends. Now when I say camp, I use that term loosely because even if I were camping up in the Los Angeles recreational areas, there would be cleaner living conditions and facilities in which to live in. Yet it was a safe haven for these boys who had nothing, who lived together, all suffering similar fates as the other and all sharing commonality between their stories by which that brought them to this place. When we first arrived, we played soccer with the boys for about an hour or so before they gave us a tour of the, of the facility. I met a little boy named Job while we were playing soccer with the boys. He kept staring at me while we were in the backfield playing defenders, so I decided to say hello and give him a high five and ask him his name. Job, he said. Now, it's not uncommon, especially for new boys, to adopt biblical names as their new name. This is because when they are rescued, they are assisted with living and immediate health concerns. Then they teach them to read and write in the camps, as well as teaching them the gospel of Jesus. When studying the Bible, the little boys or girls will select which biblical name they like most or fits within the context of their own lives. I responded back to Job. My name's Rogers. I would always give the kids my last name because it was hard for them to pronounce my first name. Even still, as I pointed to myself and said Rogers, he replied and giggled and smiled as if my name wasn't a name you're supposed to have, like a toaster or a lamp. During our tour of the facility, Job wanted to show me where his bunk was. The facility had four large walls and an open courtyard in the center, with two medium-sized trees in the yard, on which boys were already climbing branches to see who could reach the highest point first. The boys' living quarters lined the outer walls, with three or four bunk beds inside, stacked two to three high. Muddy and dilapidated little boys' shoes lined the walls of the sleeping areas. 
He walked me into his room with two other boys right behind him. I assumed they were his friends. And Job said to, be, said to me, This is mine, he said, as he pointed to the top bunk of the tri-bunk bed. Hey, top bunk, I said. Very cool. I love that blanket you have. It's very nice. As we continued to walk the facility, I, I felt called to ask him more about his story after asking him about his time there and what sports he loved to play. I asked Job, what happened? Why are, why are you here? I don't have a mother or a father, he said. How come, I asked. He was quiet for a moment, and then he said aloud, Boko Haram, Boko Haram, they cut them. They cut my mother, and they cut my father, and the people in my home. Then they shot them in the head with a gun. After hearing him say this, I immediately dropped to my knee, and I didn't know what to say. My heart and soul were shattered in a million pieces. It wasn't until later that I heard more of the story that Boko Haram had entered the village in a night raid with guns and machetes and began systematically eradicating the people in his village. Now, Boko Haram was founded in 2002, and because of increasing radicalization, it led to the suppression operation by the Nigerian military forces and the summary execution of its leader, Mohamed Yosef, in July 2009. Its unexpected resurgence following the mass prison break in September 2010 was accompanied by increasingly sophisticated attacks initially against soft targets, but progressing in 2011 to include suicide bombings of police buildings and United Nations offices in Abuja. The government's establishment of the state of emergency at the beginning of 2012 extended in the following year to cover the entire northeast of Nigeria, which led to an increase in both security forces against abuse and militant attacks. When Boko Haram first formed, their actions were nonviolent. Their main goal was to, quote, purify Islam in northern Nigeria, end quote. Since March 2015, the group has been aligned with, aligned with the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant. Since the current insurgency started in 2009, Boko Haram has killed tens of thousands and displaced 2.3 million from their homes, and was at one time the world's deadliest terrorist group, according to the Global Terrorism Index. In 2015, Boko Haram's leader, Abu Bakr Sheku, pledged allegiance to the Islamic State of Iraq in the Levant, rebranding as the Islamic State in West Africa. In September 2015, the Director of Information at the Defense Headquarters of Nigeria announced that all Boko Haram camps had been destroyed, but the attacks from the group continued to this day. 
Many news outlets and online sources will say that 2019 has seen further decline in raids by Boko Haram across Nigeria, Chad, and Niger, but this was not the case for Job and his family. When Job and his mother and father were attempting to run away, they were captured and brought back to the center of the village where the others who were captured were being held. The bodies and limbs of those who had already been cut down remained buried in the mud where they had fallen. Everyone from the village who had been captured were told to get on their knees. A few of the older boys were selected and pulled aside and taken away. Now imagine for a moment you are that nine-year-old boy witnessing this firsthand. These are the faces of the people that you saw in your village every day. They were the friends that you played soccer with. They were the parents of your friends who you'd go over to their house and have dinner with. Your aunties and your uncles of people that loved you and were like family with the people that you saw strewn about. Men from Boko Haram stepped forward with machetes and walked toward the group. The grown men and women were approached first, and then the hacking began. The sounds of metal whipping through the air as screams rung out. As you close your eyes, you hear men step in front of you, your father and mother. Your eyes can't help but open at the same time whipping sounds and screams from your father and mother happen in front of you. As you begin to see the pieces and limbs of your parents begin to fall, you reel and convulse at the horror when two shots are fired, one after the next. As an exploding crater is formed out the back of your father's head as he falls, and then the same happens to your mother. I didn't get the chance to learn more about Job's story. How did he survive? How did he get here? How had he been at this IDP camp for a year, coping with this tragedy as a 10-year-old boy? All I knew was the why behind him being here, that he had been taken the, that he had taken the name Job in his suffering. In this Bible story from the book of Job, there was a wealthy man named Job residing in an area called Uz, with his extended family and vast flock. He was considered innocent and blameless and upright constantly mindful to live in in a righteous manner, according to Job 1.1. God takes notice about Job's virtue, but Satan contends that Job is only righteous because God has favored him generously, thus beginning the trepidation throughout Job's life as his faith to God is revealed in suffering.
I know that little boy I met in Nigeria had been through living hell and somehow survived. I may never know how or why, but I'm so grateful I had the opportunity to be with him, with his friends, to pray with them, and to love on them the way they wish their fathers and mothers still could. The days and weeks following my trip, the story of that little boy left me with so many questions unanswered. Why wasn't anybody able to protect his family, and how come they couldn't defend themselves, were the two that hung with me the most? So our group began having conversations with some of the locals who are where, who were our guides and drivers to find out why Job's story was all too common, especially in northern parts of Nigeria. We were told that the government, due to the safety and security of the people of Nigeria, had taken away the people's means of which to fight back. Citizens of Nigeria are not allowed to possess machine guns, military-style rifles, or any handguns. Private possession of fully automatic and semi-automatic weapons or revolvers are prohibited under law according to the Firearms Act and other firearm regulations. Hunting-style bolt-action rifles and shotguns are allowed to be possessed if they are granted a firearm license and pass a background check, which considers criminal, mental health, and addiction records. In Nigeria, gun owners must reapply and requalify for their firearm license every year, otherwise their firearms are repossessed by the government. I find it very interesting that a government known for its corruption practices in military and law enforcement and government abroad and a culture which is fraught with malpractice and a hierarchy of, sub of subversion would remove the weapons of its people in the name of safety and public security without offering the ability to provide aid to its people. I mean, we are talking about a country who has an air force which includes about 23 planes in operation. You can't exactly expect the Nigerian government to provide the national security that they need in order to combat these all-too-common attacks. And yet these IDP camps are filled with children who, all, who are all running from the same problem. I hope and pray this same posture to defend oneself and loved ones is not adopted here. Thinking back on meeting Job just brings me back to Nigeria, kneeling in the midst of all these children who somehow in some way found a way to be joyful just to play a soccer game for a couple hours with complete strangers. I look forward to reconnecting with Job on my next visit to Nigeria next year. I hope to see him 
grow up and I look forward to seeing the man that he becomes, especially now that he is fervently walking with Jesus and he's studying the Bible and he's learning English and he's learning how to read. Stories like this, especially in Nigeria, are all too common. In the future, I hope to have um, some other individuals on that can share more about the kind of stories that are happening in Nigeria so that we can better understand what's actually happening over there, how we can help, and how God and the Holy Spirit are just showing up in ways that are unimaginable, biblical, in ways that we just don't see or hear about here in the United States. And if we do, they're very rare. Now, typically, I'd, I'd open with prayer and, and open with Scripture. But I really felt the Holy Spirit putting this story on my heart to open. Open the the dialogue between our ministry and what we're trying to do and the ways that we're trying to equip men to be missionaries that want to go out to the front lines and see what it's like out there, to see how the enemy's working, but most of all to see how the Holy Spirit is working. Because I promise you there's stories that you'll never forget And unless you go, you probably won't believe that they're true. I hope you'll join me on this adventure as we discuss history, as we discuss scripture, and we try and figure out what it all means and how it all ties together so that we can equip each other to be watchmen, as it says in Ezekiel 33 to go and set a watchman, to have him be waiting on the wall and be ready for the master to return. We don't know when it's going to happen. I'm not predicting any time frame, but we know it will happen. And as watchmen and as men of Jesus Christ, we have to be equipped and we have to be ready and we have to be dressed to either fight a battle if the enemy approaches or keep a lookout for the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's a spiritual war that's happening and you can tell that the enemy is moving. He's strategizing and he's fighting harder than he's ever fought before. And that only leads me to one conclusion that he can sense it. He can sense that his time is coming to an end. And just like an animal backed into a corner, he's not willing to go down without a fight. But he's going to fight with everything he's got. And we're seeing that now Here in these states, we're seeing it abroad, we're seeing it in our churches, we're seeing it with our religious leaders, 
He's finding anything and everything he possibly can to drive a wedge between each other and drive a wedge between us and Jesus Christ. That's why we are doing this podcast. That's why we've created this ministry, because we've lost what it means to be men, truly men who live for Jesus Christ, who lead our families with courage and with grace and with love and understanding, but who aren't afraid to pick up the Bible or pick up a sword and fight when necessary. If you believe in Jesus Christ, the first thing you got to do is pick up your Bible and read. That's our first line of defense against the enemy. Without that, we have armor and no weapon. I'm okay with taking defensive posture, but there will be times when you have to go on the offense. And the best way to go on an offense is to know your scripture and to read your Bible and to connect with the Holy Spirit in a way that is unbreakable. Now, I don't know if this podcast is going to be successful. Honestly, I just don't know. But if doing this podcast means that just one person would come to know Jesus Christ, to me, that's worth it. If it means that just one person realizes that they don't have the connection with the Holy Spirit that they thought they had, or the knowledge of Scripture or the knowledge of history that they thought they had, that if just one man thinks that they could go over to Nigeria and make a difference in someone's life and to show a young boy that he can get be loved on by a man in a healthy way, in a way that he'll probably not receive because he either lost his parents or he has no family or he's just alone in the world and needs someone to see that he still exists. Just like Moses at the burning bush, when the burning bush called out to him, he said, Lord, see me. See me, Father. We all just want to be seen by our Father. So I hope you'll continue to listen to this podcast as we expand upon more scripture and more historical moments and and come to understand more about the warrior culture, but that it was focused on worldly attributes and worldly goals, and that we can identify what components of a a warrior, uh, warrior culture that we can adopt and make into a watchman philosophy so that we are reflecting God's kingdom and the the power of the Holy Spirit that is within us and the ability to not have fear and to take courage and to stand up to the enemy and to take back territory from the enemy.
because Jesus may come and be may be coming again, but that doesn't mean we have to relinquish the territory. The only way we do that is if we're equipped. We have to be ready, and we have to keep watch. Always remember that discipleship will give rise to freed men. And the way we do that is in community, in scripture, and in connection with the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, you can check us out at Peleus.com. That's P-A-L-A-E-U-S.com. You can follow us on Instagram at Peleus1. We're a little light on the, the training aspects yet, but we're still early in our adoption, and uh, we hope to get the beta program up and running uh, hopefully by 2020, and we can start beta enrollment for the excuse me, preliminary training program. I know God's got a plan for this ministry. I don't fully comprehend or understand what its main goal is um, outside of reaching people and bringing people to Jesus Christ. And if God wants this ministry to flourish, then he's going to allow that to happen. And not if not by me, then through somebody else that he has anointed. But I hope I can bring honor and a sense of duty to this podcast and to this ministry so that other men who are just as beaten down and just as broken as I am can realize that they are something, that Jesus sees, him, sees them for who they are, truly sees them, and that he is a father who absolutely and with every part of his being loves them. So thank you. Holy Spirit, we're just so grateful for the ways that you are speaking to these men. Thank you for putting this idea of a podcast on my heart. I know that you are working in ways that we'll never know but we can see the way you're working. You are activating men around the world to preach the gospel, to teach what it means to have a connection, a direct connection between the Holy Word of God and the Holy Spirit. We're so grateful for all that you're doing. And we are so grateful for Job and his story and the ways that you are going to use him in the future. He's going to be an incredible young man. And I know he's got, you've got some big plans for him. We ask that you would continue to watch over us, guide us in all that we do, and give us strength to fight the battle on the spiritual realm. 
our God who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive those who have debts against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Your name be praised, the Lord of heaven's armies, the King of glory, Yahweh. Amen. Watchmen, thanks again for tuning into the broadcast. If you didn't hate it, go hit that subscribe button. You can check out our website at Peleus.com. That's Peleus, P-A-L-A-E-U-S.com. We'll see you next time. And remember, come one, come all, together stand tall, for the Lord rejoices in uprightness.